left of center uh, politicians or political parties. Uh, so we'll probably hear Taiwan talking about new ways to cooperate with the U.S. that don't necessarily include uh, China-related issues. Ross, thanks very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning in Australia, the SX200 is up about half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is flat. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea moving uh, downwards. The, uh, the Cosby is down about a third of a percent at the moment. Here in Hong Kong, stocks may open just slightly to the upside, according to futures markets. Brent crude oil is trading at $51.19 a barrel. Gold is at uh, $1,863 an ounce, slightly lower than the New York close. In the currency markets, the US dollar is at 103.5 against the Japanese yen and $1.35 against the British pound. Thanks very much for listening this morning. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Nixie Lamb. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, cold in the morning, dry with sunny intervals during the day. The maximum temperature is going to be about 17 degrees. There is a cold weather warning in force and the outlook is for it to be rather cool in the morning in the next couple of days with cold mornings early next week. The temperature right now, 14 degrees, 74% relative humidity. The time's 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. A Chinese space capsule containing the first moon rocks collected in over four decades has landed in Inner Mongolia. The Chang'e 5 probe spent three weeks in space taking rocks and soil from the moon's ocean of storms, a vast lava plain. Here's the BBC's Jonathan Amos. China will be delighted with this outcome. Not only have they carried off a very complex mission, but they've also retrieved samples that will be of high scientific value, giving us fresh insights on the formation and the early history of the moon. Ground teams were very quick to find the capsule amongst the snow-covered grasslands of Inner Mongolia. The module is being taken now to a Chinese Academy of Sciences laboratory, where its precious contents can be removed. China has agreed to allow a World Health Organization team into the country next month to investigate the origins of the coronavirus. Beijing has been reluctant to agree to an independent inquiry, causing a series of diplomatic rows with other countries. The team will consist of 10 international scientists. The pro-establishment activist Letitia Lee has died. Ms Lee, who founded the group Justice Alliance, was often seen at pro-government demonstrations. Robert Kemp reports. Letitia Lee's death was confirmed by her friend, the lawmaker Priscilla Leung, who described Miss Lee as a talented and courageous individual. Reports say Miss Lee, who was 56, fainted at home and was rushed to Pokhoi Hospital in Yunlong, where she died shortly afterwards. Tests later reportedly showed a preliminary positive result for COVID-19. Letitia Lee made an unsuccessful bid for public office in the 2016 legislative elections. The chairman of the United States Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, has called for the government and Congress to take steps to stimulate the economy. Speaking after a meeting at which the Fed, the U.S. Central Bank, decided to keep its own interest rate policy unchanged, Mr Powell said the case for using the government finances was very, very strong. Here's the BBC's Andrew Walker. Federal Reserve decided to continue with its own stimulus policies put in place early in the pandemic. It kept its interest rates very close to zero and will continue buying financial assets, a programme known as quantitative easing, which also helps keep borrowing costs low. 
Mr Powell said that households and businesses facing lost incomes due to the spread of the virus also need support from government spending and tax policies. Discussions are underway in Congress about further steps, including additional payments to many Americans and increased benefits for people out of work. Prosecutors in the Netherlands have confirmed a Dutch hacker's story that he successfully logged into Donald Trump's Twitter account during the US presidential election campaign by guessing his password. But they say they'll not be punishing Victor Havers because they accept he was acting ethically. He disclosed the hack immediately, saying the password he guessed was MAGA2020, referring to the Trump slogan, Make America Great Again. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Nixie Lamb. Nixie, good morning to you. Today we're talking about asylum seekers and online food ordering. The government has gazetted the Immigration Amendment Bill 2020, altering arrangements on the treatment of asylum seekers here in Hong Kong. Some are concerned the changes could result in victims of torture abroad being denied access to interpreters and even placed under indefinite detention in Hong Kong. What are the problems of dealing with non-refoulement cases uh, in Hong Kong, as they're called? Do you agree with claims that many are fake refugees who are expensive maintain? to maintain and even carry out crimes on our streets. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our telephone number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. And then after 9.15, we're going to be talking about problems faced by people ordering groceries online. So tell us, what has your experience been like? Have you received food that's uh, safe, that's fresh, that's on time, and is what you asked for? or not, uh, let us know. Once again, call us 233-88266 or email backchat at rthk. HK. Just before we start with uh, our first topic today, uh, some uh, emails uh, relating, first of all, to our topic yesterday and the question of the oaths. Uh, David, in an email, says, Civil servants who are British passport holders and citizens will soon face a dilemma. The British government has condemned the Chinese and Hong Kong SAR governments for introducing national security legislation and for disqualifying four democratic legislators, stating that these acts constitute a clear breach of the joint declaration. It's reported that the British Foreign Office will impose sanctions on at least four Hong Kong government officials. These civil, those civil servants who are British passport holders and citizens with a conscience could feel unable to take an oath pledging allegiance to the SAR government and undermining and betraying the British government. If, however, they refuse to take the oath, they will face disciplinary action, including demotion and possibly the sack. Those observations from David. And we've had a lot of emails on the question of our person of the year. Yeah, um, towards the end of uh, every year, I think for about the last 10 years or so, uh, we run a little poll. It's kind of informal, it's kind of for fun, it's not exactly scientific, uh, and it's uh, to choose a, a person of the year. Kind of modelled on the time person of the year, so it doesn't have to be a person that you completely agree with or even that you completely admire, but someone you think has, has been significant uh, in the uh, previous year. At the moment, we're looking for nominations. We're looking for people to uh, come up with ideas for the person that they think deserves, so the, the person of the year. So just And then we'll vote uh, over Christmas, basically, and announce the results in the uh, new year. So ideas for person of the year. Nixie, do you want, who would you have as your person of the year? Uh, it has to be Dr. Chan Chokwan. She's been very responsible and reporting every day, especially with her recent uh, personal uh, 
things to deal with. So I've been really respect her. Okay, yeah, she has been. She's been nominated previously as well. So another nomination there for Chan Shuk Kwan. Um, uh, this is from Anthony, uh, who says, uh, "Dear Backchat, there are many worthy candidates for Man or Woman of the Year, uh, but for this pandemic year, I recommend Professor Benjamin Cowling, who RTHK has on the airways frequently since this crisis broke. I distinctly remember his comments in your first interview, which were brilliantly prescient." Cowling has been one of the most clear beacons of good sense and future direction throughout this crisis, particularly when compared with the muddled thinking and changing views that have been voiced in Hong Kong, the UK, Europe, the USA and elsewhere. He has extraordinarily good sense for the appropriate balance between closing activities down and opening up to sustain economic and personal life. Prior to this year, many of us hardly knew what an epidemiologist was. He certainly has helped to change that. Keep up your good work on Backchat. That comes from Anthony. And uh, from T, a nomination for the Person of the Year is Nabella Casa. That's the uh, RTHK uh, journalist who's uh, made uh, headlines with uh, her interviews and uh, clashes with the chief executive. Uh, Anthony S. Is that the same, Anthony? Uh, says, uh, Dear Santa Hugh, I hereby nominate uh, Hope Hicks for Person of the Year 2020. She's one of the most influential people in the world. Hope apparently, allegedly, gave COVID to President Trump, thus changing the world. The world needs optimism and hope. We want hope. Keep He's hope fine alive. Now. He's fine, yeah. He's fine. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the words of Mr Trump, she is the person, woman, man, camera, TV of the year. God bless America and the world. That's from uh, Anthony S. Uh, N says, I nominate retiring Chief Justice Jeffrey Marr, who has consistently stood and spoken up for the importance of an independent judiciary. And uh, on legal issues, just this from uh, Bowen, uh, who says the position of Secretary of Justice for in Hong Kong, as well as that of the Attorney General in the UK, is a sensitive one because of the potential multiple conflicts of interest of the different roles involved. Traditionally in the UK, the Attorney General is the head of the bar, the government's chief legal advisor, as well as superintendent of the Crown Prosecution Service and the guardian of public interest. The bar sometimes has struggles with the government of the day, and so does the public. In view of this, uh, it is advisable for Theresa Cheng to exercise prudence and caution, despite the occasional pressure to make sweeping public statements, and indeed to avoid making claims or bare assertions of an extravagant nature. Both the profession and the public will bear in mind the potential conflicts of interest of her position when they assess her comments that's uh, on the topic of the Secretary for Justice uh, talking about perpetual truth. Thank you very much indeed for all those uh, comments. Backchat at rthk.hk. Joining us now to talk about the issue of non-refoulement and the Immigration Amendment Bill, we have with us now Rachel Lee, Research and Policy Officer with the Justice Centre Hong Kong, a co-convener of the Advocacy Working Group and Refugee Concern Network, and Geoffrey Andrews is a social, uh, social service worker with Christian Action. Ms Lee, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for, for joining us. What are your concerns then about the, about the changes which are being uh, suggested, uh, implied by the Immigration Amendment Bill? Some of the proposed amendment clearly contravenes international standards and jurisprudence, and we are very concerned that they will undermine procedural fairness and result in subsequent challenges if left unchanged. So we do agree that the current system needs a bit of a reform and revamp, but I don't think this is the right way to do it. When you say procedural injustice, what do you mean? What, what would be wrong? So, for example, some of the uh, proposal would allow the uh, proceedings to be conducted in a language that the adjudicator reasonably believes that the claimant is able to communicate in. Now, as you all know, in uh, all levels of court in Hong Kong, 
um, people are given, you know, the access to interpreter and mandating the language uh, to which the proceedings will be will be conducted. That seriously undermines, you know, procedural fairness. And it's also a very different thing, you know, to be able to have a conversation in English and to be able to understand legal proceedings, which are very complex in English, for example. I think that, uh, is there any suggestion or is there a way that you can actually communicate with the government at the stage to actually advise something that is more humane? It's, it's hard to engage with the government because now with uh, LegCo, without a effective opposition, uh, we are very concerned that the um, remaining legislator would not support a bills committee which would allow the bill to be scrutinized in more detail and allow civil society groups to make representations, for example, and have an open dialogue with the government. So we're, we're very concerned about some of these proposals which are plainly uh, unreasonable in our, in our opinion. I think the point is that um, it's it's hard to get hold of some of these interpreters and uh, uh, the experience of the immigration department has been that um, uh, people these some of these people can communicate perfectly well uh, in English uh, but are making this demand for interpreters and interpretation basically to slow things down and it's working and, and, and some of the, as you know, some of these uh, claims go on for years and years. Some of the claims go on for years and years. In our organization, we have claims that go on for three years and at no fault of the claimant. It's because of the administrative and bureaucratic inefficiency you know, of the screening mechanism. And in terms of you know, rare languages, it's, it's, a really easy, uh, it's a really easy way to solve this, you know, which is to engage interpreters uh, at a remote location with video conferencing technology, something that done, it's done in the EU. I know in the UK, the uh, Metropolitan Police uses remote interpretation. You know, it, it, there, there are easier, better solutions rather than mandating a language. And then also in Hong Kong, I'm sure uh, most people will know that a lot of Hong Kong people, when they attend trials in English, they actually have a Cantonese interpreter, even though we would all agree that most Hong Kong people can, you know, speak English to a reasonable degree. So instead of use to have a Cantonese interpreter uh, for a Hong Kong person. Okay, also with us is Jeffrey Andrews, a social service worker with Christian Action. Good morning to you, Mr. Andrews. Thanks for, for joining us. What are your concerns? Do you, do you share uh, Ms. Lee's uh, problems and do you agree with the, there, is, the, there is some need for some kind of revamp? Well, absolutely. I mean, we are part of the RCN network that um, Rachel was talking about and we are very much um, in agreement. Actually, you know, I've been working in this field for over my 12th year and I, like, like Rachel saying, some of our claimants have not worked waited for three years. We had a case that just got approved for 16 years, and it was a, a simple language of Hindi, um, you know, and, and it wasn't an interpreter issue, it was the bureaucratic mess that the government has created. Um, you know, families should not have to wait 16 years to get approved and then be blamed for being fake for all these 15 plus years, and then now that they've, you know, given them, um, granted them asylum, then it's, it's totally... Um, uh, you know, revamp is much needed, but in the other direction, you know, I've handled many clients who come out of the detention facilities, and you know, they suffer more PTSD um, uh, from 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 what they've actually fled from. So, you know, something else has to happen, and it's it's the other direction. What what seems to be the problem other than language barriers? Well, it seems like uh, you know, I've I've seen some ridiculous decisions. Uh, from the immigration where they rejected a client and then thanks to fantastic you know 
uh, support from Justice Senator WRC and, and other human rights lawyers, they've actually won the appeal, and that used to take another, you know, couple of months to even years. So, you know, it seems like the immigration possibly has rejected many other claims like this, and, I, and I'm not sure, but you know, we're very lucky some of them, most of them do come across you know, agencies like us. But it seems like the government does not have uh, an overall, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, expertise in, in, in this area. And they just seem to be throwing it back to the community, saying that they're all fake and they're delaying it. Uh, I don't think so. There's, so far, we've seen 231 cases accepted, um, but there's definitely more. We, you know, we serve clients over thousands of clients we really believe, um, you know, have fled violence, have fled you know, uh, persecution, and should be granted asylum. We're also joined now by Fernando Chang, former Labour Party lawmaker. Ms. Chang, Ms. Chang good morning to you. Uh, and thanks for joining us. I, I see this, this coincides with, there's a, there's a story, for example, in the British Daily Mail newspaper today uh, with um, some discussion over new arrangements which were being set up uh, in the UK. Uh, they've already opened camps in former barracks uh, for asylum seekers uh, uh, in um, pretty dilapidated buildings surrounded by barbed wire uh, and so on. Um, uh, they say they intended these are intended partly to act as a deterrent to uh, people traffickers. Um, I mean, um, isn't that the reality that uh, around the world people are making new arrangements for asylum seekers uh, and they don't want to encourage them? And that's in, in Hong Kong, we're not tougher than anywhere else. I don't think um, it is a matter whether we are encouraging um, uh, refugees or asylum seekers to come to Hong Kong. It is um, a fact that there are going to be asylum seekers um, all over uh, and that these type of persecutions do happen and that people do flee from their uh, home countries to other places, to the free world. Um, and now if you compare the UK to Hong Kong, uh, we have about 13,000 asylum seekers in Hong Kong right now. Um, uh, we're, t we're not talking about the same volume of refugee population in Europe. Um, there is really no comparison. If you look at the substantiation rate, for example, our approval rate is at 1%, whereas in most other countries we're talking about uh, 30 40 50%. So, and also, we do not allow people to resettle here. We never allow refugees to settle. We are not signatory to the uh, Refugee Convention. Therefore, we for years have shucked that responsibility to the UNHCR. So if you really want to make a fair comparison, we have to look at how UK and Hong Kong have been uh, treating uh, people who seek asylum. Um, and this particular immigration law is going to make it even worse. Uh, already there's been a lot of problems with the detention center, the uh, Castle Beak Immigration Detention Center. I know for one case who have been detained for four years there uh, and counting. Uh, we, uh, I talked to uh, people who have been detained for over a year, many of them. 
it, it, it's almost like indefinite detention. And now this bill is allowing them more flexibility to detain them, uh, have the office, officers carry arms, do not give them the um, mother tongue interpretation, uh, making them uh, mandatory to uh, attend medical examinations. If not, that would uh, affect their credibility. Uh, all that is making it draconian and almost impossible for people to uh, go through that process. And it doesn't make any sense. It's, uh, it, it will invite judicial reviews. It will um, cause more uh, in the long run. Um, but how do we strike the balance? I think in recent years, there's a lot of discussions in the uh, in the local community where a lot of them are concerned about uh, the issues of fake refugees and stuff. Like, how can we resolve that? Like, people are being like like misunderstand some of the ethnic minorities locally uh, complained to me before to say, well, well we're be- being like mistreated um, as those like fake refugees and stuff like. Well, we. <coughs> certainly don't want to see human trafficking. Uh, we certainly should exercise uh, better border control. Uh, and that when people do come in uh, and claim asylum, they should go through an um, efficient process. Uh, the USM, the Unified Screening Mechanism, should be reviewed and I think probably overhaul because uh, almost nowhere else in the developed world we would see such low substantiation rate. Um, We we do not simply try to make it easy for the authorities to um, evade any internationally recognized uh, standard of fairness in dealing with this population. We have to make it transparent and make it clear how people would, what sort of process would go through, and and make it a credible system so that in the end, uh, if people are assessed to be um, not substantiated, uh, they should should be repetuated, and those who are substantiated, we should also have an expedient process for them to resettle. That's the way to go, instead of making it um, um, more inhumane for people to come to Hong Kong. Rachel Lee, you you spoke of the need for for a revamp, and and, uh, Fernando Chen was talking there about an overhaul. What what would that involve? I mean, should that, for example, be something which speeded up this process? Because it, it can go on for years and years in many cases. And also something which is, I mean, it's, you know, the bill is adding up. There were claims in the Oriental Daily, I don't know how accurate they are, that this has cost Hong Kong some six, $6 billion. Um, do you agree that we need to um, uh, speed this up and save some money? Well, we do think they need to speed it up, but the way is not to uh, uh, make the screening process more restrictive, as, as Fernando said. The way is to enhance the fairness and transparency of the system so so the system actually works and you know good decisions come out of it. So, for example, on appeal, only 8% of claimants are represented by publicly funded lawyers. This means 92% of people don't have a lawyer when they are at their own asylum proceedings. You know how difficult and complex you know asylum proceedings are. And by 
perhaps facilitating claimants' access to publicly funded legal assistance that would improve the quality of decisions because cases are better argued and better prepared. That's one example. But, how far, ex- but you know, how far should Hong Kong taxpayers go to fund, you know, defence and, and court action for people who've got no connection with Hong Kong, frankly? Well, obviously, $8 billion sounds like a lot, but the issue we are seeing is that the system is so bad and they're spending so much money on a bad system. If they improve the system, then perhaps they would be spending less money on, on, on the system. And the other issue uh, um, relating to this point is that substantiated refugees are not allowed to work, so they actually rely on the government's uh, assistance, humanitarian assistance. So if you perhaps grant them the right to work, then many of them can become self-subsistent. They can become contributing members of society, they can pay tax. This is what many people tell us. I'm sure Jeff will, will, will have heard saying similar uh, concerns as well. But Jeffrey Andrews, common sense would say if you, if you allow them to work, surely that would encourage more people to come. Um, no, I mean, what we're saying is those who are genuinely assessed to be recognised refugees, protected claimants, um, and there's a very few number, we're talking about so far just 230, and I can tell you many of the employers are very, very happy to recruit them because they bring diversity, they speak, you know, different languages, uh, they're very hardworking, and, and, you know, they, they bring skill sets that maybe we don't, many of us in Hong Kong may not have. Um, so, no, it's, it's, it's definitely not um, something that Hong Kongers should be worried about. In fact, what I'm seeing in the younger generation in the last couple of years, especially after the social movement, is there's been more uh, support for refugees and, you know, for a side process. In fact, my um, refugee center, Christian Action, it, it burned down a couple of months ago. And believe it or not, it was the local public that fundraised uh, close to $2 million to, to, you know, to, to help us with renovation costs. So, again, maybe 15 years ago, impossible. But we really believe it's we've turned the tide. Most general public, we're doing a lot of awareness raising. And, you know, people like Fernando Chung, and, and you know, they've been amazing um, supporters for the refugee uh, community, and um, I truly believe we've, we've, you know, we've made the public more aware and, and supportive of of refugees. Can I be more specific on, on just the procedures? How can we speed it up? Because you mentioned one suggestion is having, say, uh, some online interpreters rather than having like actual interpreters in person to actually help that out. Um, what are the like like stuff that the government can actually do in the current like lengthy procedures and stuff? Well, another recommendation that the, that we have is to provide comprehensive guidance for uh, adjudicators, including on, for example, how should you interview someone who may be vulnerable, or you know, they may be children, young children, or how do you conduct credibility assessment? Currently, there are no such guidance mm-hmm. in uh, any other common jurisdiction, such as the UK, Canada. There are guidance for asylum adjudicators, so that adjudicators actually know how to properly conduct. How, an how would that speed speaking. things up? How would that, that would, well, that would improve the quality of decision because, as Jeff said earlier, what we're seeing is that the quality of decision is so bad. We have people from Egypt, for example. We have a gay man in Egypt who was told by the adjudicator that he can't be gay because he's not wearing pink, he's not wearing floral patterns or high heels, he has a beard and he walks like a man, whatever that means. You know, we have bad decisions like this, meaning people need to appeal and go through judicial review, and then their cases get stuck over and over again in the system because we have bad decisions. So an obvious way to 
improve the efficiency of the screening mechanism is to improve the quality of the decision. And one way to do that is to improve access to legal services, develop guidance, as well as publishing these decisions. These decisions are not published. The appeal board decisions are not published, unlike other common law jurisdictions, again, you know, such as Australia, Canada, and the UK, where asylum tribunals' decisions are published so that the public, you know, including ourselves, civil society, can monitor quality of decisions. Doesn't that cost more to go through, like, like adding all those like mechanisms in? I don't think so. I think if you improve the fairness and quality of the screening process, you will end up spending less because people are not then appealing. They're not stuck in Hong Kong for a long time, relying on humanitarian assistance. You know, as Fernando said, a good system makes sure people who need protection get screened in. People who may not. The reality need- is, surely people are going to appeal if they if they lose, they'll, they'll appeal. Well, that's the issue to do with the lack of legal assistance. Many, many, many individuals are very desperate and they don't have proper legal assistance. So they say, well, I'm just going to appeal. I'm just going to apply for judicial review. But if you improve the access to lawyers, for example, then, then at least they can, they can receive uh, uh, advice, you know, including the advice that you don't have a meritorious claim, that you perhaps do not fit under the definition, uh, you know, de- uh, deserving protection in Hong Kong, for example. But, but is that realistic, Jeffrey Andrews? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the right to appeal is it's very fundamental. Would you say to someone who's been cr- convicted of criminal offence that, you know, you can't appeal because, you know, whatever, you know, it's, the right to appeal is, is central to, to a fair process. And it is, you well, know... Well, I mean, what you're saying amounts to saying let more people through and that will speed it up. Mm. You know, yes. I, as a social service agency as well, I, you know, even at the very first assessment we do when we do intakes, when we do see that the person may not you know, have merits for a case, we do tell them, hey, this is a long process. Would you consider maybe, you know, going back home? Mm. And some of them hear about the long process and then they they do say, yes, would you help us? And, you know, there are agencies like the IOM for voluntary repatriation. It's not to say that, you know, um, you know, people always want to try. It's okay. They, at the end of the day, no, they don't. All right, well, we've got, we got, we got, we got a break for the news now at 9 o'clock. We'll put the discussion on pause uh, for the moment. Uh, do join us. Bankchat at rthk.hk, email address. The weather, mainly cloudy. There's a cold weather warning. 14 degrees at the moment, relative... Hacker's story that he successfully logged into Donald Trump's Twitter account during the US presidential election campaign by guessing his password. But they say they'll not be punishing Victor Gavers because they accept he was acting ethically. He disclosed the hack immediately, saying the password he guessed was MAGA2020, referring to the Trump slogan, Make America Great Again. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back, Bank Chat, this Thursday morning with Nixie Lamb and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking uh, once again about the issue of uh, uh, asylum seekers here. That's people uh, who come to Hong Kong and uh, are considered under uh, non-refoulement rules, whether they can uh, go back to their original country. Or, um, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, the government now introducing the Immigration Amendment Bill, altering arrangements on uh, their treatment uh, here in Hong Kong. And we have discussing that issue, uh, Fernando Chung, uh, former Labour Party lawmaker, Jeffrey Andrews, is a social service worker with Christian Action, and Rachel Lee, research and policy officer with the Justice Centre of Hong Kong, and co of the Advocacy Working Group and Refugee Concern Network. Later we're going to be talking about uh, the Consumer Council. We're going to be talking to them about uh, their study about uh, online food ordering. Uh, that's uh, ordering uh, groceries. Uh, they did some tests and uh, you can hear what their results were. They were pretty poor, actually, uh, most of them. They didn't do very well. Um, uh, 
what have your experiences been like? You can email backchat at rthk.hk with anything that's pretty much anything that's on your mind. Uh, you can call us on 233-88266. And also, we are looking for our Backchat Person of the Year. This week, we're just doing kind of uh, nominations. So who do you think should be a contender for our Person of the Year poll, which will run over Christmas and the New Year? Once again, drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. A um, couple of comments from Andrew K., uh, who says, could you please distinguish between refugees and economic migrants who seem to have a sense of entitlement? And Andrew Kay also says, sadly, there are legions of the legal profession who love taking these cases as a means of long-term income stream. The hurdles to entering any jurisdiction should be very high. That is from uh, Andrew Kay. Um, Nixie, you were saying you had some experience with this. This is this did come up kind of a few years ago, didn't it? Around yeah. 2015, 2016. There's some uh, very... Like, like big discussion in the in the local community about people having this bad experience about uh, like they, they see newses and about, about um, of, of the red refugees and and some of the local people seems to have this misunderstanding of like every people with darker skins might be like refugees and they're not very happy about it. I do receive some of the complaints about oh I see brown people walking in in the park. And I say, well, what's wrong with it? Uh, did they do anything wrong? It was like, no, they're just there. I was like, well, that that that's nothing wrong for them to be in the park. So, I think we, the perception between um, like these like fake refugees and Muslim seekers, I think we need to do some something more about it to basically differentiate. And actually, that affects some of the uh, reputation of the local community. Um, I met with some of the local Pakistanis and Indi- Indian uh, communities, and they actually complained about it uh, a few years back when the discussion is pretty intense. And they say, well, they were mistreated as refugees because they, they have darker skins. So that's not a very healthy situation. It seems like to, like to have this battle between like Chinese or anything that is different. So that, that's not very healthy for the whole, yeah. Mm. Jeffrey Andrews, has that been your experience as well? Uh, I mean, you know... Uh Let's be honest. I mean, the the the, the discrimination, racism issue was was here uh, for decades. Mm. You know, I'm a, I'm a local. I'm brown skinned but I'm a Hong Kong born, raised. I speak Cantonese, and I mm. have been discriminated, uh, you know, numerous times as a youngster. Regardless of people knowing if I have a ID card in my pocket or not, so differentiating between a refugee or a resident won't make a difference. I think that needs to be a systemic change from from Hong Kong, and that's the government's. Um, issue you know they they they've never incorporated uh you know uh, cultural sensitivity or anything like that in the schooling system so so that's another matter but yes uh you know like i said uh, people keep saying oh you know there's so many refugees they're they're, they're costing society there's a sense of entitlement uh, you know i i've served you know for this last 12 years like in the last two years we've sent you know, we've we've asked people to go back home uh, if they wanted to, and and many have. But you know, and also I can tell you the, the reality is immigration takes two to four months to send a person back. You know, when someone says, "I am ready," you know what? Mm-hmm. I've, I've I've gone through the whole legal system. Um, I maybe it's it's just not for me, and and and, and then the company takes four months to send them back. So and why I, is know, that? It's, so it's a bureaucratic procedure. I've got a guy who's you know, who was terminally ill, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm done. I, I'd rather, you know, uh, I'm going to go back. Country, yeah. And guess what? He ended up dying in Hong Kong. 
because mm-hmm. the governance is efficiency again. So it's it's also both ways. I think many people see it from the outside that the likes of Rachel Fernandez-Chen we're, we're from the inside of the system. We're seeing it, and and again, it's it's the government, and there's a lack of accountability. You know, sense of collaboration and sense of like, look, we're civil society. We know what's going on in the ground. We'd like to work to make the system better, because when you make the system better, people will not come and abuse the system. What do, happened? Do, do you do you agree the system should be should be faster? Absolutely, mm. absolutely. I mean, my families, the refugee families, should not have to wait sixteen years. 15 years, and then the next process is resettlement, like Fernandez said. Okay, well, in, in a case like that, what's what's the bottleneck? What's the problem? The or problem problems? is it's prolonged. You know, um, cases are put on hold for, for years. I have a Sri Lankan elderly, she's 63, and she's been waiting 13 years, and she's like, hey, I'm, I want to, to get the process going. I want my interview done. I want to move on with my life, but, you know, 13 years here, and, and sadly... The worst thing is, 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 is death in the community because there's no support at, at all. So, you know, we're, we're agencies like us and Fernando and all, we're dealing with every issue in the community which is not being heard from the government. Because they have to, I mean, in that case, then you'd have to look at the circumstances, look at their personal circumstances, look at the general environment uh, in Sri Lanka or something. It's not an easy Absolutely. task, is it? Why are other governments able to do it? Why are the German government doing it? Canadians are doing it. The Australians are doing it. So what's wrong with Hong Kong? You know, 231 cases accepted is, is unacceptable. You know, it's, it's unreasonable. There's so many more who've fallen through the cracks. And, you know, we can't pick them all up, unfortunately. You know, we're, we're so badly resourced and, and funded. So, you know, we do what we can. But, um, you know, without the likes of these human rights lawyers... Uh, you know, uh, many more cases would have been rejected. Rachel Lee, what's the scale of this? How many people are in this situation in, in Hong Kong? Do you know? Um, I mean, there are about uh, 200 or so people at first instance, and I believe about 500 uh, uh, waiting for appeal and more people waiting for uh, judicial uh, review uh, procedures. And what's the average waiting time like? Because we, we say we say like extreme cases between like sixteen to eighteen years. Like, what's the average time? It depends, but you know, in our experience, it's anything between sort of two to five years. Mm-hmm. I would say. So mm-hmm. we have, as Jeff said, we have cases of people from you know East African countries. You know, in, in situation of civil war, they were you know in the in the in the old system, in the UNHCR system, and then you have the new USM introduced in the 2014. So they have to reapply, and then they were rejected. So they have to file judicial review, and then the courts, you know, uh, redirected the case back to the appeal board. You know, it went it went on for good 16 years or so. Sort of uh, back and, and forth, kind of. Back and forth, exactly because of bad decisions, as, as I said, because the decisions coming out of the immigration and the appeal board is so bad that the courts have to interfere, and then they have to decide again, and then that you know that took several years. Again, what you're saying, that amounts to saying uh, we should speed this up by letting more people in. Well, if people are, uh, if people deserve protection, then Hong Kong has a human right obligation to protect them. It's called the non-refoulement. You know, even though Hong Kong doesn't have any long-term solutions for these people, you know, once we've accepted them, we can refer them to the UNHCR, for example, and then they can be resettled to another third country. But that's just, that's just what it means to be in this in this global world. It means you have a human rights obligation. If people deserve protection, you need to offer that protection. 
Fernando Chung, you know, we, we, we had that comment there from uh, Andrew K. Listener talking about uh, uh, economic uh, migrants. Uh, it's very, very hard, isn't it, to draw a hard and fast rule between economic migrants and people who are leaving for, for other reasons. That's, that's the heart of this problem, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. But um, one has to understand that uh, asylum seekers or economic migrants uh, are not being well-treated here. When they come, um, many of them could be, if they apply for asylum, they are they have to be in a state that they have violated uh, some laws. Um, the most common one would be overstaying. And, and once they, are, they enter into that um, criminal status, uh, they cannot work. Uh, and the process can take years. Uh, and, and they have to live a meager life. We're talking about $1,200 of food and $1,500 a month of uh, rental assistance. Uh, how can anyone live on that meager budget in Hong Kong? But they have to sustain themselves on that. Um, and, and they don't know how long it's going to be. And they can be detained at any time, and they cannot tell how long they would be detained. That sort of insecurity uh, and undignified lives is not all that attractive to anybody. One has to understand that. And, and this new law is going to try to make it even worse. Uh, are we going the right direction? This is a humanitarian issue. It is not an economic issue. It is not that how much money we are spending on people who seek asylum in Hong Kong. It is a matter of international responsibility as part of the free world as, well, I'm not sure we can say that very long, uh, but as a developed place in the international community, uh, don't we have some responsibility uh, to help people who have to flee from persecution on a humanitarian ground. That's the core, uh, the crux of the matter. Okay, uh, Rachel Lee, perhaps you'd like to address this. This is an email from S. Uh, who says, I am wondering, regarding the Egyptian man who claims to be gay, if there would be a different outcome after going through the case with a lawyer and after spending a lot of taxpayers' money. Are we going to set a precedent where a lot of people can come under any false pretenses who in reality are economic migrants? Will Hong Kong have resources if there is a flood of such people? That comes from S. Ms. Lee? Well, the, the point I'm trying to make is in the case of this gay Egyptian man, if the decision was good, he would have been accepted at first instance, and then he would have been referred to the UNX show to be resettled in, instead of having to appeal and then apply for judicial review, and then his case bouncing back to the system, having to be redecided again, all the while he's relying on the humanitarian assistance from the government because he cannot work as a asylum seeker. That's the point I'm trying to make. If, if you have a good system, a fair system that respects these international standards on how asylum claims should be screened, less money would be spent okay uh comment from uh mike mike is back ah mike says before boarding for my return flight to hong kong i had a number of requirements hotel reservations covid test etc uh airlines had the responsibility that my documentation was all in order if airlines had a fiscal responsibility those refugees might not even be able to board the plane that's an observation from mike thank you very much in, indeed for that uh, uh, while you're uh, on the line, uh, we are having...
having our person of the year at the moment. We're just looking for ideas or, or nominations. Uh, Rachel Lee, any any thoughts? Who would you like to nominate, perhaps, as a person of the year for for Hong Kong for twenty twenty? Put you on the spot now, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've been working closely with Fernando, and Fernando has been amazing in supporting very marginalized communities, including refugees. And as we heard this morning, it's not an easy issue to, to deal with. So I think I'd nom- nominate Fernando. Okay, that's very nice. All right. And Fernando, anyone? Anyone you'd like <laughs> <Rachel>. to nominate? <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't think um, I, I come anywhere in the year to that sort of... Um, a status. Um, people who have worked on the ground, uh, people like Rachel and Jeff, uh, really helping people who are voiceless, uh, people of different ethnicity, uh, people who are deemed as foreign, I think, in, in this community. And yet we have a lot of these groups, including some uh, churches, uh, local community groups, uh, Christian Action, Justice Centers, these civil society organizations uh, should be honored instead of, um, you know, any particular politician or, or individuals. Okay. All right. Uh, Fernando Chang, thank you very much indeed for, for that. Uh, our former Labour Party lawmaker, thank you very much indeed to Rachel Lee from the Justice Centre and Geoffrey Andrews, social service worker with uh, Christian Action. Uh, one more nomination. This is from Anonymous, who says, I'd like to nominate Father John Witherspoon, who's heavily involved in assisting foreign nationals incarcerated uh, in Hong Kong. Thanks very much indeed for that idea. Uh, Backchat at rthk.hk. Once again, <coughs> is uh, the email. And we're looking for nominations for the person of the year. Uh, finally today, we wanted to turn to uh, the issue of ordering food uh, online, your groceries uh, online. The Consumer Council uh, has uh, done a uh, survey of uh, uh, different uh, online supermarkets to assess their quality of service. Uh, joining us to tell us about the uh, results and the survey, we have uh, Angel Chung now, who's the Chief Research and Survey Officer with the Consumer Council. Ms Chung, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you much indeed everyone. for joining us. Okay, t- tell us what were you, what were you, how did you do this uh, survey, first of all? Presumably you just kind of ordered lots of food from supermarkets. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, for this, uh, we have uh, choose uh, five uh, online uh, supermarket shops in Hong Kong, and then for each of the uh, shop, we did uh, five trial, and um, uh, so uh, for each trial, we bought uh, fifteen items. Uh, those are uh, exactly the same items or very similar items, uh, which include uh, some frozen meats. Uh, fresh milk, yogurt, ice cream, uh, fresh fruits, and some um, grocery items. Okay, and and what were the results? What did you find? Uh, we found that a uh, lot of issues, um, uh, starting from um, uh, uh, searching for the items through the online platform, uh, there were uh, uh, the categories. The uh, categories are not very well uh, organized. That consumers have to uh, take quite long to find um, the items, and um, when they uh, select select the products, uh, right um, before they uh, uh, choose to uh, check out, and uh, this one store, uh, it's 
half of the item shows um, is out of stock. Mm. So that the uh, customer have to uh, reselect uh, the egg items again. And then after he found replaced egg items, and then it shows six items were out of stock. Bad <laughs> <laughs> <That> yeah. luck. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, he, had, uh, he just uh, called the customer service. And the customer service of that store uh, told him that um, uh, actually those items were uh, uh, having stock, but they do not know uh, why uh, uh, the problems that may be caused by the uh, IT issue. What about the quality of the food? You mentioned about like things like ice creams and, and other like frozen stuff. Yes. Um, the quality of the food uh, actually varies a lot. Um, we found that um, out of the, 15, five, uh, the 25 trials, 24 deliveries saw frozen or perishable food arriving at a temperature that was too high. Uh, for example, uh, we found a dim sum, the frozen dim sum and frozen pork arriving at about uh, 20 degrees Celsius. Mm. Tofu at uh, 19 degrees Celsius. 20 milk. and 19, so that's... <laughs> yeah. That's scary. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then so milk room, and yogurt. room temperature. Yeah, mm. and milk and yogurt are, are over 16 degrees Celsius. It depends on how hot that day is. <laughs> right, and, and also we, uh, we found that um, there, are, there were molten sorbets and clearly food meats, dumpling, and even rotten grapes. Mm. and black and licking bananas. Ew. Yeah. I so, do a yeah. lot of uh, online food ordering, like basically because that's like rounds and rounds of COVID situation. And, and it seems like some of the, the, some of the online shops actually improve. Like they, when they send like, frozen food, they make sure that you are home. If you're not, then they'll, they'll just bring it back. They wouldn't just leave it at the door anymore. So like, do that, like any, any things that like the other shops should do something like that or? Yes. Uh, uh, among the uh, five stores that uh, we've trialed, um, actually uh, four of them would not just leave their, uh, if there's no one's home, they would uh, take the food back. Mm-hmm. But one of the shop uh, will just leave it uh, to their, uh, uh, the management office of, the, of that building. So uh, mm-hmm. we suggest uh, our recommendation to the consumer that when they um, ordering the, the food that is a frozen food or need to uh, keep it uh, low temperature, uh, they better uh, check uh, what time, uh, the time that um, the, uh, the courier arrive. Make sure that uh, there's someone at home. And um, uh, what you mentioned about something that arrives at 16 degrees, 20 degrees, yeah. is that from the, the one that leave at the uh, management office or, or just the, the normal ones that... Normal ones mm-hmm. upon the arrival. Then it's still not very qualified, isn't it? Like- right, because um, there's a food hygiene code published by the Food and Environmental Hygiene Department that um, uh, uh, the, the, the shops should uh, follow straight that with the, for all the food with potential health, uh, health risk must always be stored at either below uh, 4 degrees Celsius mm. or about 60 degrees Celsius during delivery. So um, the food need, uh, need to be refrigerated, uh, must be delivered in a refrigerated truck and also keep chewed to prevent the, uh, bacterial growth. Is, is that actually illegal? Is that, does that break any laws if you don't keep frozen food, if you're selling frozen food, which is unfrozen? Uh, well, uh, 
that will have uh, the potential food poisoning issues. So we have uh, uh, handed all these um, uh, records and cases to the uh, Center of Food Safety uh, mm. for their further investigation. That would take long. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a while. And what about overpackaging? Like, um, I remember when I was in, uh, in the, uh, like, like ordering food, like they, they pack with the rounds and rounds and plastic bags and, and different tapes and stuff. Is, is that like any concerns for your research this time? Yes, definitely. Um, because uh, we found that in order to protect the food well, so uh, often there are uh, overpackaging uh, mm. that we have observed when the uh, uh, arrival of the food, there are cooler bags with several ice packs to keep the frozen food chewed, and they uh, gave a lot of protective layers to protect the eggs or fat dry items inside. Mm. So that creates a lot of uh, packaging waste indeed. Who, who did best then? Can you name names uh, here? <laughs> who did best? Who did worst? Suggest uh, the consumer to look at um, okay, okay, our website. choice. <laughs> and the magazine. Our choice magazine <laughs> that you have a good picture. <laughs> yeah, for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nixie, I'm, I'm quite interested. The, what about the actual websites? My impression is that the websites are pretty rubbish. <laughs> quite no, hard it, to find. It was pretty fun. I stopped do like I'm starting to do online um, shopping quite a while ago, and it's actually improved a lot. And and the varieties and stuff. But I'm surprised that I can order ice cream. I'm I'm I don't dare to order ice creams. I mean, it's quite risky. I don't, not many people would. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. To be honest. But um, but I do order some like frozen meat and stuff sometimes. Just just a bit dangerous. Remember when there's a third wave COVID situation where going to the market seems to be quite dangerous. So I just order everything online. And it's actually a breeze. <laughs> you, find, you can find the, what you want. Everything, the, uh, basically. Okay. Yeah. Some of the bigger malls. Yeah, <laughs> you know so, who, who I called. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, my personal experience that I, I also try to avoid uh, ordering uh, fresh and frozen food online. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, more safer to, if we shop in the in the in the uh, supermarkets or real stores. But it often yeah. takes quite a while sometimes. Like you have to wait like three to five days sometimes to order some of the food, and they come in different badges as well. Like some comes in the next day, and then and then it's like you have to wait for like four or five times to have yes. a proper order. Yes. And yeah, yeah. The the study also found that. Um, um, the the uh, time for the delivery of could vary from one day to the longest is the uh, twenty six days. Twenty six days <laughs> yeah. for what? Like a pack of egg? <laughs> uh, some meat. And meat. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So uh, it's it's quite. Uh, I think it brought a lot of inconveniences to the consumers. And um, um, actually, uh, we, we, this time we have done, uh, uh, we, uh, have done uh, five shops. And um, so I think um, one of the uh, supermarkets, uh, they consistently uh, took long to deliver the, the goods. Mm. Yeah, and, um, uh, and, and uh, they often have to split in different uh, uh, in a few deliveries for one single orders. I think that might be the one I'm using. 
<laughs> Sounds very familiar. To me. <laughs> yeah. So um, and 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 uh, sometimes they they even didn't tell you about uh, they cancelling the order. And also, yeah, I had uh, that for, experience as well. I'm really? pretty sure <laughs> it's the same one. Okay, yeah, and and uh, also um, when uh, the uh, the customer try to call them and trace them, it it is uh, not very easy to uh, get a hold with their customer service team. Yeah, I just text the delivery guy and tell them that <laughs> well, some some of my stuff are missing. You better tell the customer service. Yeah, for for one order, uh, uh, the uh, the customer uh, called them and asked uh, the status, and they uh, told them that um, it, it they it still need time to deliver. They mm-hmm. still need to wait. Mm-hmm. So the uh, customer uh, uh, tell them, okay, uh, then I want to cancel the order, mm-hmm. and they uh, they took their the record. But the next day, without informing the customer, they they delivered the, the goods. <laughs> Miscommunication. <laughs> yeah, and and left the food at at the management office of that building because that's no one at home at the moment. Mm. Yeah. I think that the whole thing is very complicated sometimes. I mean, as you mentioned about like the, the frozen trucks and stuff, I, I'm not very sure all of those shops has that uh, capability to own a team of frozen trucks. And maybe there's some restriction that we need to impose into some of the business not not be qualified to deliver those kind of food? Uh, as far as I know, um, actually, uh some of the shops they are currently they are uh, utilizing the supplier to 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 send the, uh, to deliver the goods to the uh, consumers. Mm. That's why for one single order, they have to split into different deliveries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that um, so, so like direct delivery from from the, uh, the the producers or something. Right, like right. And of course, they can be a lot cheaper, can't they? It could be a big price difference sometimes between the um, what you can order online it depends sometimes they yeah, have this like, like like discount day kind of thing, yeah like, which i love and <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah it's still very complicated sometimes like if some like, as you mentioned earlier if some of the, your stuff is missing then it's very complicated to get hold of people and to do communications and stuff right mm. when, when when there are issues yeah Okay, well, Angel Chang, thank many thanks for for joining us uh, from the Consumer Council, Chief Research and uh, Survey Officer. Uh, thank you very much indeed, uh, Nixie. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, just a couple of comments uh, to uh, finish off uh, on unrelated issues. Andrew Kay says on Ted Hoy, can anyone confirm this guy is no longer on the Hong Kong government payroll and that he now pays UK tax? And um, Chris says. Uh, good morning, back chat. On a different subject, I'm dismayed by the varying harshness of prison sentences in Hong Kong. A rioter smashes up an MTR station. Completely wrong, I know, but he or she gets 10 years. Last week, a man was convicted of manslaughter for killing his wife and gets three and a half years. Then yesterday, there was the stomach-churning news that a man had been found guilty of performing sexual acts with a six-year-old and a three-year-old, sentenced to only 33 months in prison, if I heard correctly. 
this cannot be right. That's from Chris. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Nixie and uh, Raphael and Andy, thank you very much indeed for uh, helping this morning, leaving you now with the latest weather information. It's going to be mainly cloudy, cold this morning, dry with sunny intervals during the day with temperatures up to about 17 degrees. The outlook rather cool in the mornings and in the next couple of days. Cold mornings early next week. There's a cold weather warning, 15 degrees now. Relative humidity is at 74%. Amid the epidemic, thanks to all for being self-disciplined to protect yourselves and others. Thanks for keeping up personal and environmental hygiene and contributing to fighting the virus. We must take further steps. Keep track of your whereabouts. If you are sick, don't go to work or school. See the doctor and get tested promptly. We will prevail over the epidemic. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Fight the virus. Stay vigilant. 933, the news with Samantha Butler. A pharmacist says the government should compensate people who develop serious side effects after being vaccinated against COVID-19. William Choi, president of the Society of Hospital Pharmacists, told an RTHK programme that the government should also set up a database to keep track of any serious side effects. A Chinese space capsule containing the first moon rocks collected in over four decades has landed in Inner Mongolia. The Chang'e 5 probe spent three weeks in space taking rocks and soil from the moon's ocean of storms, a vast lava plain. And U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer has urged President-elect Joe Biden to keep up pressure on China and hold their feet to the fire on the phase one trade deal signed between Beijing and the Trump administration. He told Reuters news agency that Beijing was well behind on its purchase commitments, partly due to the pandemic. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Welcome to a brand new morning, and now the back chat's through. Hold tight to the side of your seat, it's the morning brew. It's Phil Whelan and he's dealing an interview or two. Live now on Radio 3, it's the morning brew. He'll entertain you lots, well fingers crossed, until his voice is shot. A dedicated individual Sit back, enjoy the chat Plus a tune or two Hold tight to the side of your seats It's the Morning Brew Good morning to you and welcome to Thursday Well we know what's coming after 10 Commentator Steve Vines pledges to be with us then Full of good cheer And the required amount of seasonal felicitations We'll be on Facebook Live so you know where to catch him. After that, Radio 3's Country Boy, Michael Lance. He's choosing his favourite three dang tootin' Christmas songs this morning. And our vet David Gething joins us after 11.30 for some furry stuff. A Christmas song, which apparently comes with the story. And of course, he's well happy to answer any of your questions as well. 12.10, Maestro JC Viennes is back after a 